Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to you and uh, everybody online as well. We're so glad that you're all here. I got something to share with you. Things my mother taught me. Things my mother, my mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. <laughs> my mother taught me religion. You better pray that that will come out of the carpet. My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm gonna knock you into the middle of next week. My mother taught me about logic, because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. Somebody just said, yes, that's true. That happens, okay. My mother taught me irony. Keep crying or I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your carrots. My mother taught me about stamina. You'll sit there until that spinach is completely finished. My mother taught me about weather. This room of yours looks like a tornado went through it. My mother taught me about hypocrisy. If I told you once, I told you a million times, don't exaggerate. My mother taught me behavioral modification. Stop acting like your father. Anyway, all right, one more. There is one more. Okay, this is, this is a classic mom. My mother taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Amen. How many are glad for their moms? We might not all be a mother, but we all had a mother. And today is Mother's Day, and we're going to talk about the church. I say that the church is our true mother. You have maybe a mother that failed you in some ways. Maybe your mother has passed on. We don't know. Maybe you are a mother and you have some tragedies that you can report about your life. Maybe divorce rocked your world as a mother. Or maybe you just feel out of sorts and as a, as a, as a somewhat of a, of a seriously flawed mother. We all get it. We know it. Nobody's perfect. But can I tell you that you've got an eternal mother in the church of Jesus? We are part of the movement God started to bring people into the new birth experience. The Church of Jesus is my favorite organization on planet Earth. I work for the church. I should say something like that. But I really mean it. I owe my life to the church. I owe all that I am to people who love Jesus. You know... I am alive today as a human being because of the church. I actually owe my existence to a guy you guys have never heard of and I've never met. His name was Father Williams. He was an Episcopal priest. In the 1970s, he got saved. A lot of Episcopal priests need to get saved. Amen, somebody. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you, Episcopalians. Just kind of kidding. He got saved, got filled with the Holy Spirit, started preaching the gospel in his little Episcopalian church in Connecticut. My parents, one of which was a lapsed Congregationalist and another was a lapsed Pentecostal, attended his church one day with their friends. And they got saved. And they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And after raising two beautiful daughters for nine years and having then been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, they were 
spoken to by God. They needed to have one more child. Because there was a man named Father Williams who preached the gospel, my parents got saved, and they gave you me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was raised with that close-knit group of people in the church. We called each other's moms and dads, auntie and uncle. No blood relation. No blood relation. We had something better. It's called the blood of Jesus relation. Come on, somebody. And we grew together, and we went to church together, and we did potluck dinners. How many remember you some potluck dinners? Hallelujah. How many know you never touched the meatballs? <laughs> Unless you find out who made the meatballs. Some of you are like, what the heck is a potluck? It's where everybody brings a pot of food, and you hope for the luck not to die from eating it. I grew up, grew up in the church with my, I call them my brothers and sisters, even though no blood relation, aunties and uncles. The church that I was raised in was started in the basement by my, my grandfather and my mother. Eighty people ended up coming to that basement every Tuesday night for a Bible study. Eventually they became a church. I grew up in that church. I became a Christian in that church. I got saved at the age of five and the age of six and seven, eight, nine, and ten. <laughs> When you're a naughty little boy, you need to get saved every week. Yes, I'll receive Jesus. Yes. I went to youth camp because of that church. At youth camp, I had an extraordinary moment, experience with the power of the Holy Spirit, and it set my life on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And all I wanted to do was give the rest of my life to his purposes. I didn't care what it took and what it cost. At that same youth camp, I was called. I could, I could feel God say, I want you to be a pastor. I'm a pastor today because of the church that I grew up in that brought me to that camp that allowed me to have that experience. I went to the right college because of the church. You know, I was going to go to one college. I went to the college, visited. It didn't, look, didn't feel right. Went back to my home church. I told the pastor, said, it just doesn't feel right. He says, let me take you to a great school. I know a great school. And he loaded up his minivan. And my mom and my, myself and his wife and him, we drove six hours through the night to get to this school. He took me on a campus tour. He brought me back. And I knew the, that the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. That's the school that I had to go to. And I thank God for a pastor who loved me enough to load up his minivan and take me across the United States to find the right school for me. I went to the right college because of the church. I got a job at, the ch at, at a church right out of college, a part-time job, youth pastor right up there in Norwood, our, old, our other campus up in Norwood. And I, I got a job being a youth pastor, and I didn't even like kids. <laughs> That's what happens when pastors desperate for a youth pastor. Do you like kids? Not so much. Do you love Jesus? Yep, you're hired. <laughs> Went in hating youth, uh, actually spent six years doing it. By the time I was done, I had tears in my eyes by, about leaving those kids behind and coming down here to plant this church. But God changed my heart through the church. I got married in the church in front of our brothers and sisters. I got my wife, not I, my wife got pregnant in front of the church. Not in the church. We got pregnant while we were part of the church. Just sorry, poor choice of words there. That would have been awful. became a father in front of the church. I became a father for the second time in front of the church. I became a father for the third time in front of you people. 
You guys saw that happen. I used to say, I got two and I'm through. God had other ideas, gave us little Jakey. Jakey's little me. Drives me nuts. <laughs> Such a blessing, though. And I, and I get to see firsthand you people come to our church and see Jesus change your life. Heal your marriages. Touch your children with the power of the Holy Spirit. Raising them up to be disciples of Jesus in an age that is drawing further and further away from God's word. We get to see it happen here. In this church, I love the church. Someday soon, no, someday way, 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 long way, I'm going to walk my daughter down the aisle of the church. <laughs> Many decades from now, hallelujah, <laughs> see her become a bride. I love the church. I think one of the greatest blessings that you can have in your life is a great church. Come on, somebody. I love the church. So we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about what the church is supposed to be and do for the world. Be the church, a series about what it means to be the, the community that Jesus gave to the world. And part one, here we go, the community of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say that what you see here on the weekend is a fraction of what happens at Waters Church. Hopefully, if I have time, I'm going to share some stories about that today. But we can't change the world, friends, if we just come to a building and sit here and listen and walk out the doors. Now, what we do here matters, and what we do here is of infinite importance. But here's why we're doing this series. Here is the series theme. I want you to write it down. If you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. This is why we're doing a series called Be the Church, because... The church is the only Bible many people will ever read. The only Bible they'll ever open is you. Is <laughs> the community that you represent. And, it, and, 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 and this, is, this is the thing about the church. Like the church is, is not a building. The church is not a denomination. The, the church is not... Uh, necessarily Catholic or Protestant or Baptist or Episcopalian or Pentecostal or Charismatic or non-denominational. The church is not that. The church is the people who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and have their hearts changed by his gospel and are ready to give their lives to his purposes in their world to see the goodness of God in our lives. The church is not a place you go to. The church is something that you are. Amen. Um, my wife and I are re-watching uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. I love that show. One of the episodes is where Raymond doesn't go to church. His father kind of like <laughs> teases him, but you know, Frank. And uh, he tells him, so you're not going to church? He goes, no, I don't need to go to church. He goes, enjoy hell. <laughs> And, you know, Raymond has a huge problem with that, and so he shows up at church, and he finds out that his father only wants to go to church so that he can hang out in the back with his buddies. He doesn't actually go in the church. But, but nonetheless, it's like some people think that that's the summation of Christianity. Go to church. Go to the building. No. No, 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 no. 
The church exists where no buildings are there for the church. Right now in India, they're putting laws on the books to outlaw the Christian movement. It doesn't mean that there's no church there. They can take away our buildings. They can take away our rights. They can take away our freedoms. But I got good news for you. The church is not about all those things. The church is what God has done through Jesus Christ in the hearts of men and women. And nobody can stop that. And no law can defeat that. And no kingdom can end that. It's God's movement. It's the church. So I'm going to challenge you to be the church. You know what the church is? It's a family. It's the family of God. It's got a father. It's kind of its own mother. It's got a husband, Jesus. And it's got children. Look what it says there in Ephesians chapter 2, 19. There on your notes. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer out there on your own. This is the beauty of being a church member, part of the church. You're not a stranger and you're not an alien. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the, say that word, household of God. Love that. The Bible calls us children all over the place. Most notably in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see how very much the Father loves us. He calls us his children. And that is what we are. The Bible says in Psalm 68, verse 6, it says God places the lonely in families. The church is for the people who feel lonely. May, again, maybe your family, not the best scenario. Can I tell you, you can have a new family in Jesus. I love seeing this in our church. People who feel closer and more connected to the people in Waters Church than even their own blood. Where did we get that idea? We got that from Jesus. There's this part in the gospel where he's preaching and teaching and his mom and his brothers, they go to get a hold of him because they think he's lost his stinking mind. And they go and they try to find Jesus and they come to the door and they, somebody says, oh, oh, mom and brothers are here. Oh, Jesus, your mom and your family is here. And Jesus says something that must have shocked his parents, must have shocked his mother and his brother. He said, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? And he looked at those who were listening to him. He said, these right here, these people right here, they're my mother and my brother and my sister. This is my family. I'm so glad that I get to be called family by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, aren't you? That's my family. This is my family. My best friends are in this church. My closest friends are in this church. I thank God for the people that God has brought into my life through this church. I have people I can call in this church because of God's work in their hearts. When I need a encouragement, when I need somebody to just talk to, you got someone like that? You got someone like that who loves Jesus? I hope you do. If not, it's time to be the church. The church was born in Acts chapter 2. It's on your notes there. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost fully came, they were all together. Somebody say together. Good things happen when the church comes together. And they're all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire as as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, these are the original disciples of Jesus. So in the narrative of the Bible, here's where we are. Jesus has died, he has risen, he has walked 
on the earth with those who saw him and followed him for 40 days. And then he says, I'm going to the Father, and I'm coming back. And he ascends, and they watch him ascend up into the clouds. And he goes up into heaven, where he still sits at the right-hand side of God the Father. And two angels appear, and they say, hey, men of Galilee, I tell you, don't, don't worry about this. This same Jesus who went up is going to come down. And, uh, and he says, but as he told you, go into Jerusalem and wait. And so they do. They go, and they wait in Jerusalem, and they don't even know what they're waiting for. All Jesus said, kept talking about somebody like this helper. This helper would come, someone just like him. They would come, and he would give them power, and, uh, and they would do some incredible things. And they don't know what to expect, so they're just together. They're just together as the church, and they're praying. And all of a sudden, on the day of Pentecost, and what the day of Pentecost is, the day of Pentecost was an ancient Jewish feast that celebrated the harvest. So they had Passover, and after Passover, they would celebrate first fruits. First fruits, they would wave the first fruits sheave offering, a sheaf of wheat before the Lord. That was like a sign. God, we believe that what we have planted will come. We believe that what we have planted will produce. And so they waved that. That was first fruits. Then they would wait 50 days for Pentecost. Pentecost comes from the Greek pente, 50. And, and so they would say, wait 50 days, and they would come before the Lord with their harvest of wheat and barley. And every year... They would celebrate another feast, and they would bake two loaves of bread, one of wheat and one of barley, and they would wave the loaves before the Lord. They said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the harvest. Little did they know that those two loaves represented two groups of people that God was going to bring to himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. The barley was the Jews, and the wheat was the Gentiles. And together they come into the house of God as one new people made alive by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it is inaugurated 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. By the way, next Sunday is actually Pentecost. I'm preaching this one week early because we like to do that kind of stuff. And they celebrated that every year. But on that one particular year after Jesus' work was accomplished, the Holy Spirit came down and filled those apostles, filled those disciples with boldness and courage. And they start speaking in other languages that they had never learned how through the Holy Spirit power. And they start talking about how good God is to all those strangers from all those other nations that had come to Pentecost for the feast. And some people say, look at these crazy people. They must be drunk. This is in Acts chapter 2. And Peter stands up and he says, we're not drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Joel, the prophet Joel talked about in the Old Testament. This is what the prophet David talked about. This is what the prophet said would happen. God would pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh and men would see visions and dream dreams and young men would prophesy and young women would prophesy and God would create a new people filled with the Holy Spirit to be a blessing to the world. And I want to say to you that I think, and I don't think this is an exaggeration, but I think that every positive thing that has ever happened in human history, from equal rights to scientific technology to the expansion of peace and prosperity across the world as far as it has gone this far, is due in large part to the community of faith that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God births in Acts chapter 2, I call it the church, the community of the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? As Peter preaches that word, here's the response of the people. And I share this word today because I want you to measure your response to God by what you see on these pages. So would you stand with me? As we read verses 37 to 47, here's what it says. Peter's preaching, and he just gets done preaching on the day of Pentecost. And here's what it says, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Somebody say, cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. 
And they, said, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted, verse 42, and they devoted themselves. Oh, I love those words. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs, uh, the proceeds to all as he had any need, and day by day attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the church. Let's pray together. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you will speak to your people. That the words that I say be what you want them to be and not anything that you don't want them to be. And help us to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said a big amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. This is the community of the Holy Spirit. I got three points and then I'm done. Number one, what happens in the community of the Holy Spirit? Here's what happens. Changed hearts. Hearts are changed when the Holy Spirit is active in the church. You ever notice that some people can go to church their whole life and they never change? (laughs) You know why? Because somewhere along the way, that church adopted an alliance to an institution and not to the Holy Spirit. We call them denominations, unfortunately. I like to say that a a denomination sometimes is where God was and not where he is. I want to be where God is. That's why we like to call ourselves (laughs) non-denom. But someday non-denom might become a denomination. How ironic would that be? And the reason why there's no life change in people is because they give up on the power of the Holy Spirit. They start to trust their principles and their procedures and their rituals. And a ritual can't change anybody. A ritual is good because here's what a ritual does. It reminds you. At the end of this service, we're going to remind ourselves through the breaking of bread, the communion elements. We're going to remind ourselves that we are in this building only and always because of the blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus. That reminds us, but it doesn't save us. The Holy Spirit anointing the work, empowering the word of God preached from the word, from the words of this book changes human hearts. Peter stands up with the Holy Spirit filling him up and he preaches a very confrontational word. I mean, he tells the very people who demanded Jesus to be crucified, he tells those very same people, you crucified the Lord of glory with your wicked hands. They wouldn't have put Peter on the motivational speaking tour in those days. But something about the Holy Spirit anointing that word cuts to the heart of those people who hear. Verse 37, that's exactly what happens. It's in your notes there. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
So much of our energies go into trying to change ourselves. And every new year, we try to do a New Year's resolution, and it always fails. Or, or we try a new diet, and they always fail. Like, how many remember the Atkins diet? Remember the Atkins diet? And you wouldn't eat any bread, any starch. And you'd eat all, all the protein in the world. Your cholesterol would shoot way the heck up. You'd have dreams of bread on your bed. You'd go. And then, and then what happens is some new guy comes along and he renames an old diet. So now it's called the paleo diet. Somebody who's like, I'm on the paleo diet. Like, oh, what's that? I only eat meat and fish and protein. That sounds like the Atkins diet. Somebody learned how to rename the diet and make a billion dollars doing it. That's what I should do. Now it's like veganism and all that kind of stuff. And we're trying to find a way to change ourselves or do a new hobby. Or sometimes we move to a new area or get a new job or get a new spouse or something. Something to change us and make us better. And nothing can really do the trick because we can change almost everything in our lives and still be miserable. The only thing that can truly change us is the power of God's word spoken under the Holy Spirit's power that gets through that hardened, crusty out exterior and penetrates to the deepest recesses of our being and helps us to see just how good God really is. And then we start to live from that. And they have an openness, don't they? When they hear God's word, they say, brothers, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? There's an openness to what, what, whatever Peter's about to say. And you know that the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of your heart when you're willing to do something that God tells you to do. And he says, repent and be baptized in verse 38. Repent. What's repent? See things differently. See things differently. We think repentance is stopping doing bad things. Well, that's the fruit of repentance. But the, but the reality of repentance is that you have a change of mind. You have news that changes your view. This is why the gospel is good news. The gospel is not a set of to-dos. The gospel is not rules. The gospel is an announcement of good news. What's the good news? The good news is what God saw that you were hopeless to do, he did in Jesus Christ. You were hopeless to obey him. You were hopeless to be perfect. You were hopeless to be right. You were hopeless to have a good relationship with God. You were estranged from God. You were alienated from God. And what God saw and how he saw you in love, he reached out to you. How? By sending his son Jesus to become a human being and live a perfect life according to the law and fulfill all the commandments you and I could not do. And then that perfect man, Jesus, took the blame of our sin upon himself at the cross to thousand years ago and they put him to death but God raised him to life again and he says if you believe that I welcome you freely into the new family of the living God what do I need to do to become a Christian believe believe what believe that Jesus did what you could not do and died for you and rose again for you oh it must be more than that pastor that's too easy no 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 that's it believe you say, oh, I don't get out. there must be some things that I have to. No, no, no. Believe. Because if you believe, it'll change what you do. That's what happens when you get good news. It changes what you do. You pay your mortgage every week. You pay your rent every week. What if somebody comes knocking on your door one day? Got good news for you. I've paid off your mortgage. What do you do? <laughs> you, you have not... You have not done anything somebody did it for you but now you're going to live differently because of what was done for you 
That's the gospel. Because you didn't owe a mortgage to God. You owed a blood debt to God. You owed an eternity of, of pain and agony to God. You owed for all the things you've ever done wrong and all the things that you should have done that you never did. You owed that back to God. And Jesus Christ came and signed his name in blood on the bill of your sin and said, paid in full. You're free to go. And you're free to come into the family. Good news. That's what repentance means. And then what is baptism? Baptism is kind of like the sign that you're saved. No, baptism doesn't save you. See, what happens in baptism is you come out of the water. New birth. What happens at your first birth? You came out of the water. That's why women talk about, oh, my water broke. And uh, you come out of the water in your first birth. Now, when you're born in your first birth... Do you suddenly come alive at that moment? Really think about this for a second. No. You were alive before. You were alive in your mom's womb. Something happened. Something transpired nine months earlier. Conception. The, the fact that you came out of mom and started breathing and crying and screaming was a sign that life had come earlier. In the second birth, it's the same exact way. If we have to argue with you and debate with you and argue with you and debate with you to get baptized, you might not be spiritually alive yet. If somebody has to twist your arm and prod you and poke you and push you, man, you might not be spiritually born again yet. So we don't want to put that on you. But we do want to tell you that if you've received Jesus, you should be proud to get baptized. You should be excited. Celebrate it. I once was dead, but now I'm alive again. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I can see. Hallelujah. How? Through Jesus Christ. He saved me. He gave me a new life. And being born that second time, here's how the formula works. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. The first death is your physical death. The second death is your spiritual death in hell for eternity. But if you're born twice, you die only once. Maybe. Because maybe Jesus comes back before that. Hallelujah. That's what I'm praying for. Anybody with me? Hearts changed. I want to follow God. Obedience doesn't, I mean, baptism doesn't save you. It's a sign that you are saved and you are ready to follow Jesus. Write this down in your notes. You know hearts are changed when you feel it. You know your heart's changed when something happens inside here. We have testimonies like this all the time at Waters Church. People just crying after the service. People walking out, they feel something happened. Your heart's been changed. Think about that. God in heaven reached down and touched your heart. Wow! How cool is that? How awesome! You feel different. You feel, you feel alive because of what God has done. Number two, what happens in the community of the Holy Spirit changed priorities. I want to just... I want to just reside here for a few moments because this is powerful what happens it says and they devoted themselves to and they devoted themselves i cannot devote you you cannot devote me a sign that you've received the lord jesus christ is you feel devoted to things you formerly mocked or laughed at Here's what the devotions are. Number one, a devotion to hearing what God has said. Devotion number one, hearing what God has said. 
In other words, in other words, I want to hear what God says in his word now. I'm ready to receive it. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. What is he talking about? The apostles' teaching. You know what the apostles' teaching is? The apostles' teaching, we have it available to us today. It's called the New Testament. The Old Testament was written by prophets. The New Testament was written by apostles. And the New Testament is God's kind of handbook for his family. You want to know what God wants you to do? Go to the New Testament. It is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. But the New Testament is the revelation of God's word for his family. This is how you behave in my home. This is how you behave. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that. That Paul says to Timothy, I want you to know how people ought to behave in the household of God. So teach them the word. And there's, a res there's not a resistance anymore. There's a desire. I want this. I want to change. I want to, I want to live the way God wants me to live. And you, and you know what happens? Here's what happens when you live the way God wants you to live. No regrets. No regrets. Oh, it's tough sometimes. It's painful at times. Oh, it will be, um, it will be counter to culture at times. But I guarantee you, in the long run, there will be no regrets. See, Satan, Satan likes to offer you quick fixes and long-term pain. God offers you some pain, but long-term joy. Doing life God's way. Number two devotion is practicing what God is. Practicing what God is. Look there on your notes. Practicing what God is. Verse 46. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They had fellowship. Somebody say fellowship. fellowship. And notice the two, meet, the two gathering places, temple, homes. So this is why Waters Church has this moment. This is called temple moment. We're kind of like in the temple. And then we ask you to join a small group and get into people's homes and, and share life together, break bread, receive food, eat together, glad, generous hearts, some of our some of our small groups, that's exactly what they do. They cook for one another. They have a great supper together. There's nothing sweeter than having a supper together with people who love Jesus. And then you have a family, a family where you do fellowship and togetherness and you feel connected. And I have noticed that the people in our church that devote themselves to being part of a family they are the ones that have the most joy, the most happiness, the most life just coming out of them. Why? Because they're no longer doing life alone. They're doing life in the family of the living God. We have this beautiful couple that has served in our church for many years. Got saved here, baptized here, started serving here, got into a small group here. And a couple of months ago, this lady suddenly was rushed to the hospital went from the emergency room to the ICU unit real fast. They didn't know what was wrong. They thought pancreatic cancer. Everybody was heartbroken. But they had a small group. A small group starts praying for them, praying earnestly. How many know that God hears the earnest prayers of his people? And his small group is praying, and the husband doesn't know what to do. But he's getting phone calls left and right from who? Guess who? His small group, his church family, his brothers and sisters. And people want to know, what's going on? How can I help you? Can I make a meal for you? We're praying. We're praying for a miracle. They don't know what's going on. It's going on. Test, 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 test. They don't know what's going on. Then finally they find out. 
somehow this woman's appendix burst and her body miraculously created a cavity to protect the burst from the rest of the inner of her inner of her inner, inner parts so that she did not die a miracle how the prayers of the saints for their sister who they love and she's on her way home this week because that's the power of being part of a family, not alone, not, not isolated, not on an island, not, de not despairing. Why? I got people who got my back. So then their daughter who got saved about a year ago and got baptized about eight months ago, right over here in this building, saved from anxiety, panic attacks, and all kinds of other things. She wrote us an email. I want to share it with you. This is the power of the church practicing what God is. Over the past few weeks, I have received an overwhelming amount of love that I cannot begin to describe. Church leaders, parents of children in the kids' ministry, people I didn't even know knew my name came up to me and asked how my mother was during her illness. Her recovery is, uh, how, to know how recovery was going, they were offering food and time and hospital visits, checking in to see if my dad needed anything, how I was holding up. I am in complete awe and have trouble finding words to express my feelings. Waters has become my home. I do not mean that in the cliche sense, and it isn't because of the professional perfume or the cute decor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like the perfume. It has everything to do with the community that has become my family. Jesus is alive at 57 John L. Deach Square, and the Holy Spirit radiates and shines through every member. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me just say something. Life is going to happen to you. You're either out of a problem, in a problem, or going into one. Who's going to be there? The church. Number three, devotion number three, sharing what God gives. Sharing what God gives. Look what it says. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, I'll sell this couch and give it to that family who needs to pay their rent. What? That's when the Holy Spirit takes hold of people. And the Holy Spirit is the, Holy, is the Spirit of God. And God knows this better than any of us, is that people are more valuable than possessions. And so when you have the Holy Spirit, you'll gladly give up your possessions to help people who need Jesus. What I'm trying to say is that Holy Spirit people reflect the generosity of the God they believe in. And I was thinking about how history has proven this time and time again. You know that Christianity was not an acceptable religion in the beginning. Way back 2,000 years ago, they would put our forefathers in the faith on the stake and burn them alive. Feed them to lions. Cut off their arms and extremities and let them die. Burn them. Try to annihilate them. This is what the Roman pagan religions, this is what the, the emperors and Nero most of all, a vicious persecution. How does an illegal religion become the official state religion of the Roman Empire? How does it happen? You know how it happened? In 300 AD, there was a massive plague that swept through the whole Roman Empire. 
And the pagans of the Roman Empire were throwing their sick loved ones out into the streets to let them die. And Christians who knew that Jesus said to them, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. I was sick and you came and visited me. They went out into the streets. They picked up the pagans. They picked up all the people who weren't of their faith, brought them into their homes, cared for them, nursed them, sometimes back to health. Sometimes they died with them. It won over the conscience of the entire empire. It couldn't be stopped. In about 360 AD, a guy by the name of Julian, he becomes emperor of Rome. He's named now Julian the Apostate. How about that for a name? And he tries to resurrect the old pagan religion. He fails miserably. Why? Because Christianity has taken hold in people's hearts. Such generosity, such love, such compassion can't be stopped. And so we have this, we have this letter. It's actually a fantastic letter. It's a letter um, from Julian to one of his friends who's just so sick of the Christians. And he says it like this. We can put it up on the screen. He says, while the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans, that's another word for Christians, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. These impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours also, welcoming them into their agape, into their love. You can't stop the kindness of God expressed through the people of God. I want you to write this down in your notes. You know priorities are changed when you see it. You see people sharing you see people caring. You see people literally and physically giving themselves up for others. This is what 15 for 15 is all about. 15 for 15. 15 miracles. We want to see 15 people or families' lives changed for 15 years of Waters Church. I believe we can do that. How are you going to find out about that? You've got to be in a small group. You've got to be in part of that community. And we're going to see how we can mobilize the church to get out these walls and be the church this is, our, this is our history. This is what this movement is about. Uh, when, when Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005, it was by and large the movement of compassion on the part of Christians that brought those communities back. And last fall, when those hurricanes hit Texas and Florida, a USA Today article came out, a USA Today article of all places came out and said 80% of the relief monies for these two hurricane disasters came from the Christian community. 80%. Do you know that the Christian community outgave the FEMA budget for the recovery of those two hurricanes? That's the power of the Holy Spirit taking root in people's hearts and changing how they see the world and not judging others, but helping others. Why? Because they knew they deserved judgment, but God gave them mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so they got to spread the goodness of the God through their lives. That's what we're here for. There's nothing like being a part of a church and being the church. Number three, finally, what happens in the community of the Holy Spirit? Changed communities. So what happens in here should change what happens out there. Amen? I got a terrible amen for that. But it should. Let's try it again. What happens in here should change what happens out there. Amen. Yes, amen. We gather and then we scatter. That's the, that's, the, that's the rhythm of the church. We're gathering here, and pastor yells at us for 45 minutes. <laughs> Amen. And we get the word in us, and we get inspired, and we get 
sometimes we get rebuked and sometimes we get corrected and sometimes we get taught and sometimes we get trained and sometimes we gotta, we gotta deal with something with somebody else because we've, we're living outside of God's favor because we're angry at brothers and sisters. And No, we can't let anger reside. We can't let anger rule. We gotta be compassionate and kind and forgiving to one another just as the Lord was compassionate and kind and forgiving to us and it changes us and then we get out there in the world and people see difference. Difference in our hearts and in our minds and our faces radiate the goodness of God. And here's what happens in the book of Acts. And here's what happens here at Waters Church. I think it does happen. Here's what happens. Praising God, verse 47, and having favor with all the people. Do you know that it's possible? It is possible to serve God and have other people who don't know God like it. It is possible. Christianity does not always have to be rude. It does not always have to be offensive. I think that when Christianity is truly practiced in a community, it actually is very attractive. And people want to be a part of it. It says there, favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Write this down in your notes. You know communities are changed when others experience God's amazing grace. That's why I love this church so much because every week, every month, every month we see people come out of the new birth experience, the waters of baptism right over here. Do you know that today over at our Woonsocket campus, five people are coming out of the waters of baptism? Five people. Isn't that beautiful? I love seeing that happen. I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing better. There is nothing more powerful. There is nothing that will change your life like the church Jesus gave to the world.